Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Debt Discussion for another Monday night, the 25th day of April 2016. Hard to believe. It's going to be May this weekend. Monday or uh, Sunday is May 1st. Just uh, absolutely amazing that time's going that fast. Uh, summertime around here it was about 87 here today, and uh, we, along with a lot of other people around the country, are going to be big time under the gun for major severe weather outbreak tomorrow night. And uh, I hope everybody that's in the central part of the country that could be susceptible to that is going to be paying close attention to it because they're they're saying this could be our biggest severe weather outbreak so far this year. So uh, we've already had a lot of uh, severe weather around the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area here as far as mostly hail. We've had several, uh, three actually, very devastating hailstorms in various areas here. stuff as big as softballs. So uh, there, there's one city, Wiley, which is northeast of me. It's kind of out north, uh, northeast out of the general metroplex area that uh, 70% of the homes were damaged by the last hailstorm. 70%. They had softball-sized hail out there. It was just absolutely unreal. So anyway, everybody, please pay attention to your weather. Uh, your life could depend on it. But I do want to tell everybody, of course, the same thing that we always say, that what you hear on this call is discussion. That's why it's called Dallas Debt Discussion. That's the not, it's not the Dallas Debt Legal Advice Line. So if you are looking for legal advice, you're going to have to go find a bar-licensed attorney and more than likely pay some money and then hope that you get some legal advice, especially some legal advice that actually is proper and can do you some good. As a general rule, in most cases, not all, we suggest that it's in people's best interest to learn how to defend yourself and your rights and learn how to use the courts yourself. There are certain situations where uh, we believe it is in your best interest to read excuse me, retain an attorney and have an attorney help you with things. But those situations are limited, and uh, we we suggest, and when I say we, I'm talking about the other moderators, Jeff, John, Terry, uh, as well as myself, that uh, it, in most cases, is going to be in your best interest to learn how to do things yourself because, unfortunately, there's a lot of lawyering profession that are only there to take your money, and they could care less whether you win or lose. And uh, they generally uh, are not uh, going to fight like you would because they don't have anything at stake. They get paid whether you win or lose. So bottom line is if you want legal advice, go find an attorney. We just discuss legal issues here. We discuss the
statutes, even though people are trying to call in here, and I have no idea who's trying to call me, but uh, uh, when... When we do discuss these issues, when people bring up scenarios and situations they're dealing with, and we say something to the effect, well, you want to do this or that or so on and so forth, take this action or whatever, please understand the context in which we are saying that is very simply, if we were in your situation, if we were in your shoes or a similar situation, that's the way we would do things. We have somebody that's come on the call and is making a bunch of noise. I think they just muted themselves, so thank you very much. But the, the bottom line is we, we don't give advice. We give suggestions. We talk about what we would do if we were in a similar situation to yours. Please understand that's the context. Don't take it uh, as any kind of legal advice. And, again, if you are in doubt, then seek out a lawyer. That's our best suggestion to you. All right, with all that said, we uh, we'll start with good news. And uh, then we go to Q&A. You are, uh, all of you that are, come on, are unmuted when you come on this call. That's by design. I ask that every one of you mute yourselves when you come on. You can mute yourself using star six. And if you listen to it, when you mute yourself, it'll say, you are muted. And if you hit star six again, it'll say, you are unmuted. It's a toggling feature. It's really simple. All you got to do is remember star six. And then, of course, if you want to raise your hand and ask a question or make a comment after we get past good news, then all you have to do is hit star 8. That will raise your hand. Please mute yourself using star 6 first, then hit star 8. That saves me a step on the board. Sometimes the board gets a little slow later on in the call. So, uh, Bottom line is we start with good news. And I want to see if anybody has any good news for us right now. And good news can be in any form. It can be, you know, a good outcome, a settlement of something, uh, any any number of good things. So if anybody has any good news, all you have to do is speak up. Goodness. It's quiet again. In the spring season, it has been quieter with good news. But we have people come on later as well. So, well, in the absence of good news, before we get into Q and A, um, uh, there was a uh, consent order that uh, came out today that was issued by the CFPB, and uh, I saw that earlier. Terry got a hold of uh, a copy of that consent order and uh, did some highlighting on it, and. Uh, sent that to me and uh, some of the other moderators and stuff. And uh, I don't want to get into a real big, you know, overblown discussion about it, but Terry, do you want to go ahead and recap what that consent order was, who it was in relation to, and the the important parts that uh, were in that? I will. Um, It's very similar, (coughs) excuse me, the nature (coughs) of the lawsuit and the consent decree entered is very similar in nature to the two against Encore Capital Group and Portfolio this past uh, fall. Um, This is uh, against Pressler & Pressler, which is a very large um, lawsuit mill, more or less, law firm. Scumbag law firm. Yeah, in New York, they're in New York, and and I think they file in like New Jersey and the surrounding states there too. 
excuse me, they had filed uh, more than 500,000 of these uh, lawsuit factory lawsuits against consumers, mostly, according to the consent order, uh, that they filed representing junk debt buyers against consumers in state actions. And the CFPB came down on them because not only were they just like Frederick J. Hanna, and you'll all remember that one, um, was ju- just came down, oh, was that October that that finally came down? This past October was the same situation where they were, the law states that before a a lawyer can sign uh, a complaint and file it, that lawyer has to be familiar with the case. And not only were they not having any attorneys, I mean, with Frederick J. Hanna, at least they claimed they had 11 out of 11 attorneys, they were all familiar with the cases before they filed them. That was impossible, too. But with these guys, they admit that no lawyer was familiar because not only was it these lawsuits not being um, reviewed by lawyers, they were being um, done by template by people who were just employees and not even paralegals, like just somebody off the street. They had teams. Yeah, they had these teams. And all of the background information was done by complete automation, a computer programmer programmed um to do whatever, you know, they needed to do, like research, address, location information, all that kind of stuff. They had this automated process going. And then um, the lawsuits would get to the desk of the attorney, and at the most, an attorney would look at it before they signed it, 30 seconds, at the most, okay? And so... Some of them as little as four seconds. Right. And as they said in Frederick J. Hanna, the law does not state what is a reasonable amount of time to become familiar with a case, but we say four seconds ain't it. (laughs) Meaningful review. Right, meaningful review. But And a lot of it I really liked because it goes into, I think, more detail, better detail, than the consent decrees against Encore and and Portfolio. Um, One of the details that the CFPB made sure was very well um, written and included, and we've talked about this a lot, part of the consent decree is the prohibitions, what they cannot do in the future and what they must do in the future and from now on, they cannot file any lawsuit against anybody until that debt has been completely verified. And in order to verify it, they must review original account level documentation. Now, you all know the debt buyers never get that stuff. And half the time they're 
they know they can't. It doesn't exist, and that's why it's junk debt to start with. Or they're prohibited by the sales contract from going to the original creditor. But in this consent decree, the CFPB, in its definitions, right in the beginning, it defines exactly what original account-level documentation means. And according to them, and pay very close attention to this language, original account-level documentation means, I, any documentation that a creditor or that creditor's agent, such as a servicer, provided to a consumer about a debt, or a complete transactional history of a debt created by a creditor or that creditor's agent, such as a servicer. So what they are saying is original account level documentation must be originated and created by that creditor and shared with that consumer. It cannot be BS data in a spreadsheet purchased in a junk debt buy sale. Yeah, and it's that information that they refer to in the consent order as well, that all they get is a summary and and this is part of the the violations where the CFPB was pointing out that they the uh, defendants and this the respondents I should say had no way to verify uh, any of the debts because they never had anything other than the summaries which were electronic files obtained at the time of purchase. One other thing that's really interesting that uh, that was in there, Terry. Here, is wait, wait before you go on. Uh, to what you just said mm-hmm. it says on number 10 for such electronically transmitted claims respondents normally received only either an excel spreadsheet or a text file containing specific data regarding each account or claim for a debt the data included in these submissions is provided in summary form only and documentation supporting the data was not included. Right. Okay, so go ahead with what you're yeah. going to say. Well, the the other thing that's that is real important in there, they have to get as far as any of these uh purchase agreements and everything, they have to get certified copies. They have to they have to provide certified copies and it has to be in the chronological order if it's changed hands. And then there was one more thing that was right on the tip of my tongue, and I just yeah, forgot they went it. After, they went after the chain of title issue. The chain of title issue. But it's the certified copy. Oh, and the purchase agreement has to specifically show the account at issue. That's the other real important thing. Wow. I got a hope on this, and, and that quite simply is this. I hope there is not a stipulated agreement, but rather a judicial stipulated agreement, because then you don't have to file it in as um, judicial notice. You can file it in and cite it directly as a case. Well, that's true, and wouldn't that just be beautiful? Oh, God. And, yeah. you know, I will say 
this, each time, how do I put this? Each time the CFPP <laughs> goes after another one, you can see how they are evolving. They're tightening the noose tighter They're, each time. Right, because um, now they did define account-level documents in those consent orders uh, against Portfolio and Encore. But they did not drill down so absolutely specifically what equals an account-level documentation. They are closing up every little loophole that the other side has been able to finagle um, out of previous consent orders. And I see them evolving and perfecting what they're doing. I'm so appreciative of it. No doubt can be had in this consent order anywhere in it as to exactly what they meant about anything that they addressed. And so that was one thing that it really made my day, this this consent order, as you can well imagine. I, I despise Pressler and Pressler anyway, almost as much as Midland. But there was another case that Jeff shared out yesterday that came out of Montana. And you don't hear Miss Terry mention a foreclosure case very often, probably ever. <laughs> this is probably the first time. But for one thing, I'm really proud of the courts in my home state, Montana. But it was U.S. Bank, right, Jeff? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and and I want Jeff to share with everybody what that case was and what happened in that case. And the thing to pay real close attention to is it was done by a pro se. Well, let's caveat that just a little bit. Only the Supreme Court appeal was handled by an attorney. The rest of it was pro se. Right. But you'll understand why that's so very important when Jeff gives you um, the facts of what happened in that well, case. Well, in the lower court, evidently U.S. Bank had presented false and misleading documentation and dismissed her case. This is on a foreclosure. Yeah. Just so and everybody she, knows. She appealed, and she brought forth the, for, the uh, false and misleading information, and the appeals court reversed and remanded, and the jury awarded her in the lower court $1 million in comp compensatory damages and $5 million in punitive damages. So U.S. Bank appealed. They appealed to the uh, Montana Supreme Court. The Montana Supreme Court said, Yea, verily, we affirm, and but we will we will send back to the lower court to, a change in the date at which interest on the judgment begins to accrue. Isn't that incredible? It's just awesome, and it's absolute proof. Whether it's a foreclosure, or a credit card, or a bogus cell phone account, it doesn't matter. You can do it yourself. It can be done. And the the higher courts are not like these little crooked can kangaroo state courts, people. Yeah, this was this was a state court. Yeah, that was and state which, court. Which 
no, given no, that it I was, mean, given it was Montana, uh, I would have expected nothing less from them. Well, right, yeah. but what I meant was the little small claims and the magistrate the local courts, local, yeah, local, 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 local courts court. where where you find so much corruption, mm. nepotism, and you name it. You know, even your state Supreme Court, your state appeals court is a different environment. You yeah. can do it as this woman did. I have no idea if she's one of our members or not, but I find that case so exciting for everybody. Yes. It was it was genuinely exciting. When I saw Supreme Court and then I saw Montana, it was, <laughs> holy cow. Yep. So there, you know, there's good things happening out here, everybody. It's, you know, we we have to keep up the battle. We have to keep up the fight. That's why we're here every Monday night, and Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, doing what we're doing and trying to help you. You know, you guys are the ones that have to fight the battles. We we try and make you aware of information and help you fit pieces of the puzzle together uh, from the best of our knowledge. And uh, our knowledge base, as I've said so many times, comes not just from reading something that somebody sends us. We are, and when I say we, I'm talking about those of us that are moderators. We are litigators. We all litigate in federal court. And uh, some of us uh, to more of an extent than others, but we all litigate in federal court, and we've had different issues that we've had to address as well. So there's a fair amount of experience here. But please understand, as I've said so many times, this does not make us experts. Knowledgeable to a fair degree, yes. Experts, no. So don't don't take it as expert. There's one other little bit of good news, if I can take the floor for just a moment. Mm, how much money you got? <laughs> hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm used to getting money coming in. The debt collector's going to keep paying me. I'm, I'm get it wherever I can. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, this, um, I do believe I have it up on the website already. Um, there was a deci- there was a decision out of out of Maryland that basically said that you can attack a void judgment at any time, any place, and in any court in Maryland. Uh-huh. And I think it was it was recently uncovered. It, it came to, to us by way of an article written by Peter Holland. Um, and when, when it was sent to me, and I took one look at it and was, holy cow. Jeff was uh, jumping up and down you, on that one. I know. You could do it either by... Uh, motion or by collateral attack, but there was no limit on when or where. Yeah. And that was, you didn't tell me it was written by Peter Holland. Yeah. No, I, I didn't know that either. Well, the article was written by Peter Holland. Wow. That's where it came from, yeah. Yeah, which yep. is where it came from. Yeah, but so. that that's, that was very good. That's great for the people in uh Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's state. great for Maryland. Yeah. Yeah, I can just see the fur flying now. Woo! <laughs> That's good. Especially well. with this consent order. And if this other idea that I have uh, proves to hold water, it would be even better. Well, it's like I was saying. We're we're out here fighting this battle. We've all got to fight this battle, everybody. The reason that we have the battle is because the people 
before us, let this stuff get out of hand and let them run roughshod without challenging. And, it, I mean, it, it's not a, a, a case of, you know, oh, well, I'm pointing fingers and blaming this. No, I'm just stating facts. And we're having to unravel what's been created over a very extended period of time and get the judiciary to recognize that, no, a lot of this stuff that you've been allowing has been improper and you can't do it anymore because we're going to raise holy hell if you try and do it. You know, the, the silence is acquiescence, everybody. Don't ever forget that. If bad things happen and you walk away with your tail between your legs instead of screaming bloody murder and making a big scene and and keeping going, well, then you're giving in. Your silence means, well, yeah, gee, I guess they beat me. Yeah. The only way that you are guaranteed to lose is if you quit fighting. Yeah, can I can I recite a, a quotation from Bill Bauer on that? Sure. And Bill Bauer said that the squeaky wheel will get you further in court than being right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much true. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, it's it's those that make the noise. So, um, and yeah, I mean, there has to be substance to your noise, though. Uh, let's oh, yeah, let's yeah, clarify yeah. that. Well, I mean, you know, there there are people that go out there and they just scream bloody murder and throw a whole bunch of mud at the wall and hope some will stick, but the mud they're throwing doesn't have any stickability in it, and therefore none of it will stick. So, you know, don't make yourself look foolish by making a bunch of frivolous, baseless arguments because all you're going to do is piss off the court, and you don't want to go there. you just got to do your research and discuss, you know, come on these calls and discuss things, get ideas. We don't have all the answers, but discussion is one of the things that we do. That's why it's called Dallas Depth Discussion. It's to put things out there to elicit answers and get information and suggestions you know we don't have all the answers on how to deal with everything so it's the contributors of not just those of us that are moderators here but it's other people's experience that are on these calls when they do things they contribute the uh, angles the way they look at things the way they have pursued things and there's some very 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 sharp ingenious people out here and we've learned a lot from them I have, personally. I don't have all the answers. That's just like the, the whole situation that I have with Midland on suing them for uh, one phone call at a time in small claims court. That was somebody else's idea, one of our uh, members who suggested that. And I and he had done that in dealing with Capital One, started to do it, and and they, uh, they came around and uh, settled with him. But I chose to pursue that, and I never would have thought about that if he hadn't brought it up and mentioned it and explained it. So, you know, we learn these things from other people, and they turn out to be extremely valuable. But that's the the whole idea of why we're here. So, Terry or Jeff, did you have anything else you wanted to say in regard to this? Or is that, no. that pretty much covered? Nope, Thank that covers time. it. I just okay. wanted to make sure we shared all that with everybody and... Those are cases which, of course, are there for you to use. 
Yeah. And uh, it's these kind of things are becoming more and more and more frequent, everybody. And believe me, that's music to our ears. Those of us that have been out here fighting this for years, when uh, we started doing this stuff It was five very years quiet. Ago, well, I mean, it, it, <laughs> what we were doing and the fact that we were successful at doing it was very quiet. You didn't hear about things like this the way we do almost on a daily basis now with with pro se's uh, across the country. But when you see cases like that Montana case and the CFPB evolving the way it is, make no mistake, we the people are making a difference. And they are feeling it. We are in a different environment now than we were in five years ago when we started down this road, everybody. And it was five years ago. And isn't it amazing when you think about it? That it's hard for me to even wrap my head around five years. It doesn't seem like it could have been five years. But you're right. As of April 18th, it was five years when Dave Uh and I entered into this particular arena. Now, you know, I don't know if Jeff was probably involved in it longer than that. I don't know. But for you and I, it it was five years ago. And when you look at what we've been through and what we know today. And what we've accomplished. Just you and me, let, let alone everybody else. This five years has been like 20 years of education for most people. Oh, yeah. But, it's you know, amazing. that's why we encourage everybody to be here, and and uh, we encourage you to come and ask questions. You know, please, please, especially new people. And, and believe me, we know how it is to be brand new and be hearing this stuff for the first time <clears throat> and sitting there thinking to yourself, there's no way I could even begin to understand all this stuff. I've federal court? Oh my god, no. I I could never go into a federal court. I'd be scared to death in front of a federal judge. I I, I can't even fathom that. Well, as I've said before and for anybody new listening right now, I currently have 106 cases in federal court. I've had a number of cases in addition to that. I'm approaching probably 150 federal cases in the last five years, going from zero knowledge. And I'm not the brightest bulb on the string. So if we I can do this stuff... Knowledge. Yeah, yeah we, had, we had no knowledge. In fact, my viewpoint was there's no way I could learn all this. You know, the funny it. thing oh is, God. Dave, you knew nothing and I knew nothing, but you still knew more than me. Yeah. Well, when we started. Well, yeah, but the the thing that's really interesting about this whole thing is, at least for me personally, and that, I, you know, I can speak from that knowledge. In all these cases that I just spoke about, I have never been in the courtroom. The only time I've been in the courtroom is to go and watch uh, an hour and a half of uh, testimony uh, by an expert witness in a patent infringement trial up at the courthouse, the federal courthouse where uh, I found my stuff. I've never been in court on any of my cases. Well, for never. me... Everything you know, is done on paper. 
The only court experience I had was 30 seconds in divorce court. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I've been in divorce court more than once, and I'll never be there again, but <clears throat> that's a whole different animal. But, you know, on, on this stuff, uh, believe me, everybody, especially new people out there, you know, if you're thinking, oh, my God, I could never do this. Well, you know, that was my thought in the beginning. I was thinking, oh, good grief, how can I possibly do this? And I'm really, truly amazed at how not difficult it is. If you're willing to put some time and effort into it, I mean, this isn't something you're going to learn in, you know, a couple hours study, you know, week, week and a half, and you're going to be up to speed and all this stuff. No, it doesn't happen that quick. There is a bunch to learn. But it is not nearly as complex as most people would think it is, especially for what we're doing with these consumer protection statutes, because they're pretty straightforward. You know, you... You just learn the basics. Uh, the most important thing is understanding the statutes, what creates a violation, and what is the private right of action that you have if they violate your rights. What are you entitled to so that you're not asking for something you're not entitled to and making yourself look foolish? It's things like that, some basics. But it's like anything else. You know, If you're going to be really good at golf, you got to learn all about how to swing the ball. You know, you got to learn what par is and and this and that and the other thing. You got to learn all about it. If you're going to be really good at basketball, you you've got to understand who the the forwards are and the centers and what where you can shoot and how many points you get if you shoot here and how many points you get if you shoot there and how you foul somebody or how you're being fouled. It, it's no different than anything else in the world. You just learn the rules of the game. It's the same with football or baseball or soccer or anything else. There's rules for every game, and we have the rules of the court. You just learn those. So uh, the bottom line is uh, just about anybody can do this if I can do it. I'm not going to say everybody can because that's not true. I know that is not true. But the bottom line is there's uh, a lot that can be done, but you have to learn to stand up for your rights. And, of course, if you don't understand what your rights are, you don't have any. That's the, that's the biggest thing. If you don't know how a Telephone Consumer Protection Act violation occurs with a call to your cell phone or something, well, how could you possibly know what's a violation? How could you know about the possibility that you have to take action and, and you know, what you should get in, uh, in compensation for the violation of your rights. That's what the whole thing is about learning about the legal system, everybody. You know, you, you don't have to be a brain surgeon here. All right, I want to see if anybody else has got any good news, and then we'll go to Q&A. Anybody got any good news? If so, speak up. All right, we don't have anybody coming up with any good news. And if anybody has got questions for us tonight, all you got to do is hit star eight. Put yourself in the queue for that. Whether you've got a comment you want to make about uh, something that we've been talking about or whether you uh, uh, have a question about the situation that you're in that uh, you uh, want to use us as a sounding board or whatever you want, uh, that's what we're here for. That's why we're here every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. All right, we're going to talk to Ivan. You have been unmuted. Go ahead. Good evening, guys. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. How are you? Good, good. I have a question for you guys, and uh, 
is about a complaint I filed against Ogwen in federal court. And uh, the question is simple, though. The waiver of service. Can they waive service without me asking for? Yes. Yes, John? in most states, most courts require that you offer them the waiver of service. And yes, they may. That's why it's required. Yeah. But I never asked for it. Can they do it without me asking for the yes. waiver? Yes. Because that's their right to waive service and they get an extra 60 days. Well, they get 60 days instead of uh, 21, 21 to respond. Right. Okay. How would you guys go by... Because it seems to me that they take control of the case if they do that. No. And, uh, no. 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 You're, you're incorrect. They're not taking control of the case. All they're doing is being given additional time they still have to answer the uh, complaint. It's just that they have a longer period of time to do it, that's all. And that's per the rules of the court. I send, okay, this is what I did, okay? Uh, the attorney sent me an email saying that they were going to wait service, and I sent an email back to the attorney saying, hey, you're you going to show me the rule that says that you can do that. He never responded. So... I was thinking about, can I do this? Can I, you know, can I amend the complaint and file it and push them to answer in 14 days? Can I no. do that? No, you no. cannot. No, you absolutely cannot. If you go down that road, you're making a big error. It's you're better. trying to fight the rules. You need to go read the rules. It's obvious that you have not read the rules and know about that. The moment something comes up, when they raise something like that, you need to go study the rules so that you understand how it works. That's what I was just talking about a few minutes ago, when you've you got to learn the rules of whatever game it is you're playing. If you're playing football, you've got to know all the football rules. If you're playing court, you've got to know all the court rules. And the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure regarding answering a complaint includes the waiver of service, and that's all stated right in there and exactly what they can do. All right, so there's nothing I can do. Even if I file nope. a complaint, you'd be an error. You'd be a mistake on me. I don't have that, to do that. Right. You'd be trying to do something you're not entitled to do, and you don't want to do that because what is, what is the appearance? What, what's the appearance to the other side and to the court that you don't know what you're doing? No, not yeah. only that, but the court will view you as being far less than reasonable when all they're doing is taking advantage of a rule that is there for their use and you're objecting to it. The okay. court will see you as unreasonable and, um, what's the word I'm right. looking for? Well, you're putting uh, yourself in a bad light before the court by doing so. Yeah. You don't want to go there. Please go and study the rules rules on uh, responding to uh, service of a complaint. Go read those rules and the rules of civil procedure so that you understand what what they can do. And, you know, anybody can. If you were being sued, for instance, you would have that right. Yeah, yeah, and, and and the thing the thing to keep in mind about it is, not everybody does that. Some some do and some don't. 
and there's no way to figure out the rationale of why this one would do it and that one over there would not. Well, I can tell you one rationale is, for instance, uh, a company that uses the same law firm all the time, and they, you know, that law firm, they get sued a lot. That law firm has a pretty heavy calendar right now, and uh, in order to take that case for their client, they need a little more time to respond. That's a very good reason they may do that. But also, I will say, I had that happen to me just once where they did the waiver of service, but they still put their uh, answer in within the 21 days. They didn't take the 60 days. They just had the right to if they wanted to. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to take 60 days to answer. Yeah, but I think obviously in most cases they would. They want to you give can, themselves that time. Yeah, you can you can you can surmise that if they do that, that they probably will take more time. That doesn't mean they're required to. So right. Okie dokie. I guess I'm gonna have to wait then. Until yeah. Well, do please go look at. Uh, go look at those federal rules of civil procedure regarding responding to a complaint. It make this a learning experience for you, so that you fully understand what the situation is that you're dealing with. You know, you 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 know now you have to wait, but go read those rules and and study those so that you fully understand why it is that you have to. Okay. Right. Use this ex use this extra time to study up on the rules that are going to come into play next. Yeah, this is the first time this happened to me. I filed a few complaints, and they never did that to me. That's well, why I, you, I you know, I understand what you're talking about. Um, all the lawsuits I've been in, I've never had that happen. You just never know. But it doesn't mean that they can't. They can, It's and it's not. it doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. Yeah, it only happened to me once. <laughs> and like I said, they didn't even use their 60 days. All right. Thank you very much. All right. You're Thank welcome. You Thank you. Good night. All right. We're going to see. Anybody else has any questions? Star eight. That's how you put your hand up in the air and uh, raise your hand to either make a comment or ask a question about the situation here. And I know we're kind of into the springtime when people are are out running around and doing stuff, so things are a little quieter right now. This is typical for this time of the year. And uh, we we go through this all the time. But, uh, again, I want to encourage new people, if you've got any kind of a question about what we do, or, you know, if you're new and you're, you're kind of wondering about anything, please, please, stick your hand up in the air, hit star eight, and ask your question. The only dumb question is the one that you don't ask because you don't get the answer to it. It's uh, For us, it's a labor of love and what we do, the fact that we're here Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights every single week. I mean, I haven't missed a Monday night, and uh, uh, middle of June will be seven years that I've been doing this. So uh, I've been here quite a few times. I think this is, what, episode number 365 or something like that. Uh, that's a lot of weeks. 
and uh, I have no plans to stop doing it. Now, who knows? I may get run over by a truck tomorrow, but uh, if that happens, then I guess I won't be on the Tuesday and Wednesday calls this week, but I don't anticipate that happening. Um, one thing that is unrelated to the debt situation that I, I do want to mention to people because I've had some really, really interesting results with it. You know, sometimes we, we do end up talking about things that are off the, the debt subject, which this isn't the norm here. But I recently uh, got some information from one of our members, uh, somebody that had started taking uh, a product called detoxidine, D-E-T-O-X-A-D-I-N-E, detoxidine, or dine, however you want to pronounce it. If you Google that, it is iodine. And, uh, you know, you've got people like myself. I'm going to be 69 this summer, so I've been around for a while. I remember the days of uh, tincture of meth uh, methylate and, uh, you know, Iodine. Oh yeah, and mom always when, when, had both yeah, in the medicine yeah. cabinet. Oh yeah, right. That's what they used. They didn't have all the antibiotic salves and all that crap that they've got today. But mercurochrome. Mercurochrome. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But but anyway, um, one of our members, uh, who was a personal friend, uh, told me about this. Said he had heard about this. He started using it and. He was absolutely amazed at how much energy he had gotten from it. And he's a lot younger than me. He's about half my age. And uh, he just raved about it, and I thought, this is very interesting. So I, uh, he sent me the link. I went and did a lot of reading. And it's, it's very interesting because uh, I think many of the people – know that our, our dietary situation uh, in the world today is not good. We uh, Most of the food that we get is devoid of uh, very much of the uh, minerals and everything else that we need. One thing that our body needs for a number of different functions is iodine. Why do they have iodized salt? They started iodizing salt so that people uh, supposedly would get enough uh, iodine uh, to meet the requirements of the body. Well, the USDA requirements, they, they come out with a requirement, but do they say, okay, well, for a person that weighs 115 pounds, they, they should have this much, and then a different amount for a person that's 160 and 180 and 210 and 240 like me, uh, no. So these requirements are, are not uniform. They're ridiculous the way they've approached it. But the bottom line is we don't get a lot of the nutrients, uh, minerals, and vitamins that we need because our food supply is so different than it was 40, 50 years and ago. Be, like and, because, and because the land has been stripped of it, so yeah. it's not in our food. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it, we go into a million, you know, uh, words of discussion as to why, but the bottom line is our food to a very great degree is uh, deficient in uh, uh, very much of the vitamins and minerals and everything that we need. Okay, you can go and study on that if you haven't taken an interest in it. I would suggest you maybe want to start doing that because that can have 
tremendous health uh, implications. But the bottom line is, I ordered this detoxidine, and I started taking it. And their recommended dosage is uh, three drops under the tongue each day. But I had read there was hundreds and hundreds of testimonials on this website, very, very complimentary. And uh, they had uh, talked about a number of the users had uh, started uh, taking uh, the detoxidine and started doing 10 drops a day because they, they were so deficient. Well, I have done that, plus the fact that I'm not a small human being. I am a larger human being. I weigh about 240. I'm 6'4". Okay, bottom line is I've been taking this stuff for a couple weeks, and uh, I've already recommended it to several other people, but I will tell you I have seen a pretty dramatic difference in my energy level personally. But one of the things that was a common thread in the uh, uh, testimonials that I read off the website was how people were sleeping so much better and they were remembering their dreams, which I thought was very, very interesting because uh, iodine has a tendency to displace uh, uh, halon and uh, other uh, heavy metals and stuff in your brain. It actually displaces them when you have the, the proper amount of it coming in, so you get rid of crud. But a, a lot of the people talked about how they slept so much better, how they got rid of brain fog, and how they had so much more energy. Well, I have a friend of mine that I turned on to this stuff, and he's only been taking it, uh, well, I talked to him this past weekend. He's only been taking it for uh, about a week. Now, this is a guy I've known for years who... Uh, is an early riser. He'd be one of these guys that'd be asleep by 9, 9.30 at night. And he was always up at 4.30 in the morning, somewhere between 4 and 5, never slept past 5 o'clock. He called me the other day. He was absolutely amazed. He had started taking this stuff, and he knows that he has a has had a thyroid problem for years. And he had been put on some other medications by doctors, which people in these testimonials had mentioned on this as well. But uh, anyway, he told me he had a very, very odd occurrence uh, the other day. He uh, lives with uh, people that work for him. He does uh, construction. And uh, the guy that works for him came in and was bothering him, and he got kind of irritated because this guy was coming in and what he thought was waking him up too early before it was time to get up. And the guy came in and said, you know, hey, are you going to wake up? Are you going to get going and come with us? He said, what are you doing in here so early? He says, it's 7.30. You need to get going. This friend of mine has not slept till 7.30 in well over 30 years. Wow. He says, I cannot believe the way I am sleeping. He says, I I think I'm sensing that I've got more energy, and he is severely overweight, and that's another uh, thing with this. This helps people lose weight. That's just one more effect that this stuff has. But uh, there's lots of things what I would recommend to everybody because – Just about everybody in this country is deficient in their iodine intake. Go Google detoxidine, D-E-T-O-X, 
I D E D I N E detoxidine and read about it. Read the testimonials from people. It's very, very affordable. A bottle of it is twenty nine ninety five, free shipping, it comes out of Houston, Texas. Uh, I got mine right away. Uh, this friend of mine, Tim, got his right away. I have other friends that have already ordered it and are looking forward to it. If you have problems sleeping, if you have been in a situation where you know that you have some thyroid deficiencies or whatever, please go and read about this and look into it. And uh, I would suggest, unless there's a very compelling reason for you not to, that you might want to consider uh, utilizing it. I'm extremely pleased with it myself. I did more yesterday uh, during the day. I, w I was like a ping-pong ball around here, bouncing around, doing stuff at home, uh, domestic stuff that I have put off for a very long time. And I was just, I just went from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, all day for the entire day yesterday. And I got so much stuff accomplished. And that's completely different from the way I felt between uh, being tired from the, the stuff with my eyes and everything. But uh, I, if I sound like I'm raving about this stuff, well, maybe I am to a degree, but I'm suggesting that you guys take a look at it. I think it's something that could benefit most people, but you have to be the judge of that. I've told you about it. Please go take a look, and uh, you might end up having some really good results. As far as me, I'm sleeping like a brick. But I am dreaming more than I've probably dreamt in 40 years. I go to sleep, even if I, I wake up in the morning and I put myself back to sleep for an hour, hour and a half, I still have very substantial dreams in that short period of time and I wake up every single night now. So it's had quite an effect on me. I'm very pleased with it. So. All right. Uh, if we got anybody that has any questions for us tonight, you need to stick your hand up in the air. If we, uh, David, are, what? The, I didn't hear it. And there was a request on the in the chat for a website. Yeah, just Google detoxidine. You'll find it. You can't miss it. D-E-T-O-X-E-D-I-N-E. -E -E. It's like detox and then the last part of iodine on the end of it. You can't miss it. If you if you Google it, you're going to find it. I don't have the specific website for it. All you got to do is use Google. And, I'm, you know, if you've listened to me for more than two weeks, you know I'm a big proponent of using Google. You can find just about anything you want out there. But that's where you can find it. It's twenty nine ninety five for a bottle of that, and it's free shipping. And, and what it uh, chemically is is nascent iodine. Nascent iodine. And they changed their sourcing on it, and this is something uh, for uh, uh, people to know, too. They were sourcing it from the sea, and they changed recently because of the pollution in the oceans, and they have gone to pulling it from the uh, salt formations six to 7,000 feet below the surface of the earth for purity reasons. They're very, very concerned. But 
please just go there and do some reading. Read about, uh, read the testimonials to it. There's hundreds and hundreds of them, but the the the, the big things that seem to you seem to read in just about every one of those uh, testimonials is uh, clearing mental fog, uh, sleeping a lot better, more energy. Um, dreaming a lot and being able to remember the dreams that you've had. So, you know, it, it's telling you uh, when you get rid of brain fog and, and you get more energy and stuff, that's telling you that it's having a, a, an effect on the brain. It's not just something that affects the rest of your body. But read about it, learn about it. It's, I'm pretty amazed. I'm pretty amazed. And that's, you know, uh, I'm I'm not from Missouri, but it's pretty much, well, okay, Tell me about something, but, you know, uh, show me. Show me that it works. And uh, I, I got this information from one of our members. He, uh, he had heard about it from somewhere and uh, mentioned it to me, and it was like, wow. So, and you know the best part of it? The debt collectors paid for it. Yeah, that's sweet. That's always sweet. They pay for a lot of stuff. All right, I'm going to go back and ask if people got any questions. I mean, if we don't have questions, uh, I've got other things I can do. And we're here to help people, but if people aren't going to come on and ask questions and uh, don't want to bring up subjects to have some discussion about things, we can go ahead and wrap things up. I have uh, no qualms about doing that. Here again, I'm, I'm here to help people, but if there's anybody that's... Uh, uh, wanting to discuss things or wanting to present some information or, or learn, then we can wrap things up. John, Jeff, Terry, is there anything that you guys I've, wanted to bring I've up or cover? Question. I've got a question. Go ahead. With the statute of limitations, okay, say, example, FDCPA, which is one year, how does leap year affect that? For example, you know, this year we had 29 days in February. I think the only thing that uh, we have to look at, as far as I I know, would be, let's say if the violation came uh, occurred on May 5th of last year, we have until May 4th of this year, because the statute doesn't say 365 days. Yeah, the statute says one year, okay? Now, as we've made a point of talking about many times, you can't wait until the same date. If Here again, the example was if the, if the violation occurred May 5th of last year, if you wait till May 5th of this year, that's the first day in the next that's year. The next year, yeah. Right. So you would have to file your lawsuit by May on uh, by or before May fourth of this year to capture that statute of limitations, but that that extra day in there, uh, I I don't think is going to have any effect. I mean, uh, it, of course, if well, let's say if the uh, uh, let's say the violation occurred this year, it's leap year. It occurred on the 29th day of February which is a day that only comes every four years. Uh, well, 
still next year you'd have to file by the 28th of February, would you not? Yes. To capture it? Yep. So it's it, the statute does not read number of days, i.e. 365. It reads one year. So when we look at one year, you have to go uh, file your suit one day before that date of the violation in a previous year in the example, like you were saying, FDCPA. But that's an interesting question. Yeah, I just thought, you know, this is a different year and people might wonder. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it, it's that kind of stuff. It, it's these kind of things you, we get into some discussion. That's, that's what I was telling people, you know, if there's something that, that you want to have a discussion about, if we don't have any people with specific needs at the moment, you know, uh, situations they're dealing with, you know, when we're here, uh, bring up some of these subjects. I mean, I, I can't believe that there isn't any curiosity in people out here about stuff in legal land. I mean, you know, once you get involved in this stuff, uh, how can you not have questions? That, that just slays me. Dave? Yes? Um, I've got something I think should be discussed. I don't know whether it should be or not. It's something that we haven't talked about. But it is something that affects a lot of people, and it has to do with health situations. It's something that I think that it ha it's happening in other places in the United States. This this situation we're talking about is in Ohio. Um, I don't know. I guess uh, someone once told me says, "Well, just go straight forward and let's hear what you got to say." So I'm going to share something with you, and I hope you all got pencils and paper because this is this is a huge problem that has not been exposed. The problem is a material called AM241. Now, AM241 is a microscopic particle is being used in all smoke detectors. AM41 has a has a half-life of almost 500 years. AM41 is... 241 or 41? 41. It's AM241. Excuse me. Okay. I, I want, yeah, 241. I want to make sure we got the right number there. AM241. Okay. It, it has a name, which you can pull up and you can read about it. Now, this is supposedly a material that is a uh, created in the nuclear power plants as a byproduct. But also, if you read into it, it was created naturally in volcanic rims, which nobody seems to want to talk about. It's a metal. The price on M241 is ridiculous. It's sold by the gram, which is the weight of a dollar bill. And I think if you go on, on Google and pull it up, it's like $1,500, $1,600 a gram. Well, AM40, AM241 has been discovered 
by some individuals that are scared to death to expose it. But you know me, Dave. <laughs> I know you. Okay. AM241, they claim, has enough power in it, five, five to seven grams, could power a spaceship to Mars and back. Um, it is highly radioactive, active, and there is a vein in Ohio that basically, I'm saying from personal knowledge, it, it's it's going probably maybe as, as long as 50 miles underground. And uh, we've, there's, there's, there's samples available. Um, one sample is sent to Harvard for analyzation, come back in a lead box, explaining exactly what it is. It's highly, highly dangerous stuff. But it is Americium. That's it. Yeah, Americium 241. That's it. But it it is affecting children and people in Ohio that are not told. It is affecting uh, newborns. It is affecting. I mean, it, the, what it does to children is is and people is beyond understanding. How do you get it corrected? I have no idea. In but what applic- in what application did you say it was currently being used? Uh, the, it is used in the um, uh, uh, smoke detectors. Smoke detectors. Well, I'm, I'm reading here on radiation emergencies from the CDC. What is it used for? AM241 is used in some medical diagnostic devices and in a variety of industrial and commercial devices that measure density and thickness. Uh, tiny AM241 sources are also present in smoke detectors. Where does it come from? It's a man-made metal that is produced from plutonium. Uh, AM-241 found in the environment as a result of past nuclear weapons testing. Okay. No, not totally true. Keep reading, Dave. Well, yeah. I'm, Even I'm, that I'm, part should scare the hell out of you. Yeah. Uh, how can it hurt me? As a dust or fine powder, AM-241 can cause certain cancers. When AM-241 powder is swallowed, absorbed through a wound, or inhaled, it can stay in the body for decades. Uh, It concentrates in the bones, liver, and muscles, exposing these organs to alpha particles. Okay. Uh, For more information about AM-241, see the public health statement by the Agency for Toxic Substances. Now, I'm reading off the uh, uh, CDC website here, everybody. Which is an organization you cannot trust. Let's just make that point. Yeah, Yeah. Half-Life, 432.2 years. Well, Uh, Motive decay, alpha particles, and weak gamma radiation, chemical properties. It's crystalline metal that is solid under normal conditions. It can be combined with beryllium to produce neutrons. Okay, you're getting closer. You're getting closer. Um, it also was is found because uh, if you if you go ahead and do more research, you'll find out more where it, it comes from from uh, created from uh, volcanic action on who knows how many years ago. But you're getting real close when you talk about beryllium. But what I'm telling you is, 
if there is someone out there listening that has a absolute intent interest to do something without uh, contacting a hit team to come after me again, um, <laughs> I'd, I'd be like to talk to them. And, and Dave, Dave, you can share that if you want. I don't mind what we're talking about. Um, well, <laughs> the the gentleman that's speaking on on this call right now, everybody, somebody I've known for a number of years, and uh, who has been the situation. The uh, the government has tried several times, obviously unsuccessfully, to assassinate him because he. Talks uh, because they, he digs into a lot of places, yes. a lot of things that they don't want dug into. Yeah, many of us are familiar. He, with. he he has a very long term history of doing that for well over thirty years. Yeah, putting targets on our heads. But you know what? I admire you very much because that's what we have to do. Well, he's paid a. Tremendous price, including being put in federal prison on bogus charges. Gee, have we ever heard that? Yeah. But he's ever been in that position. So um, he's. You know, it's funny now that that you you know brought up this issue because just before tonight's call, I was reading an article where two individuals have already been murdered in connection with. Uh, the lead in the water in Flint, Michigan, the state of Michigan. And one was a supervisor at one of the uh, treatment plants um, or, you know, the water uh, Uh supply plant. And the other one was a young mother who filed a lawsuit against the state of Michigan. And I would say we're going to see a lot of deaths to keep their... uh, there to cover up yeah. yeah to to accomplish the cover up and keep them from being held accountable for what they have done yeah well there's already been three people indicted uh and that was just announced recently but it's well you know goes, th- there's there's a whole lot more to that than three people obviously yeah the uh, guy that the guy that was killed that worked for the the water treatment plant mm-hmm. was 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 fixing to testify. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see people who have filed suits disappear and witnesses disappear. And That's the American way today. Yeah. You know, I would say to anybody listening, if you are involved in that horrendous situation in Flint, Michigan, be armed, be prepared, be careful, more careful than you normally ever Far are. Far more carefully than you normally would be. Exactly. Be aware that you do have a target on your head. And the other part, and I will agree with, uh, was that most of the victims of harm as a result of that were the black community. And, you know, I'm familiar with the area and Flint, and, yeah, I can agree with that because they have a large um, concentration of African-American 
uh, for population population uh-huh. civil right. civil population there and uh you know it's just as far as i'm concerned genocide right oh i mean hey uh, all you had to do was look at the color of the water and you knew some there was something radically wrong with it well even if the lead okay even if the lead had not been in the water which they were putting in there uh, on purpose and they knew it but even if that were were absent the flint river is polluted it is not safe drinking water even without the lead i could yeah go ahead um this subject is very interesting and dave knows where probably where i'm going to go but in the early 90s a similar situation was in finley ohio where the city were dumping a material called methyl alpha ketone in a pit beside their workshop for their city garage that was leaching out onto a playground where children playing baseball would get burnt. Refused to do anything. I flew over in an airplane when I when I got got the information doing the investigation to map out where we could see where it was killing all the vegetation. And I was able successfully to bring in the EPA, which is a, uh, the the EPA operates out of a, basically a commercial court. It's not, it's not a, like the federal court. It's, it's, a, right. it's a different court. But the EPA center for that out of the 5th District was in Chicago. And I was successful after some of the other stuff I was doing to get a hold of an individual that was referred to me by a attorney general of the state of Ohio by the name of Chris King. And Chris King has got a he does videos on um courtroom. He was he's an attorney that is not practicing law anymore. If you pull up Chris King, you'll see who Chris King is. He uh referred me to an individual that he went to college with out of Chicago, who was a U.S. attorney, and there's where the ball started. We were ended up successfully bringing in a, a complete team from the EPA, found out what we had, what were told was to be true. The city of Finley treated it like we were the biggest crooks in the world and laughed at us. They never showed up for court in Chicago, and there was a Judge Green who was a lady who was with the Sierra Club presiding, and they took out a $2.8 million lien judgment against the city. Well, Tom Nash called me, and he says, you want to talk to the mayor and see if we can resolve this, if you know him? I said, yeah, I do. And I know him personally, and I went in and talked to him like I was friendly, and literally, the man threw me out of his office. He was a school teacher prior to being mayor, and he told me they had the best legal counsel in the state, and they're going to beat this, they're going to ram it up, you know where. Anyways, so they had a hearing. Mr. Nash told me to be close to the telephone because it was my case. I was the one that did the reporting. I was the one that put all the, the evidence together for the EPA, which was verified by their special. And I had bought, 
three books, legal books, so I could do the research from High Northern University so I could study it. So I knew where I was at, which I did. So they had the hearing um, called, and he said, uh, Judge Green's got a couple questions she wants you to answer before she goes ahead because it was your complaint. Um, we have worked a deal out with the city. They'll pay 150000 in penalties. They'll have to clean up this mess, which is going to be 500000 They're going to have to monitor it until it's neutralized, soil is neutralized to the point that it is not a problem anymore. They're going to have to pay for that. Um, plus, they're, they're on probation for 10 years not to repeat. He says, the question that Judge Green wants to know is the fact that these people have not said very much nice again about you. He said, they've bad-mouthed you. They've called you every name in the book. And he said, they don't call me very nice either, but he says, I expect that's my job. But he says, for you, a private citizen, he says, you should be commended, but, but he says, it'll probably never, ever happen. But Judge Green wants to know because I have something that they don't know, and that is their sewer plant is contaminated. It's red-tagged. It has heavy metals, the same as Flint, and we can close it down, and they have to build a new sewer plant within eight months. They don't have an opportunity to go to the, to the taxpayers. They have to build it. The Superfund will cover probably half of it, he said your your favorite son, Mike Oxley, who just died, he was a classmate of mine, uh, this last year was head of the Superfund. He said um, they'll pick up probably half, but he said it's, it, it's probably going to be a million, or I mean a hundred to a hundred and fifty million dollar project they're going to have to do in eight months. He says Judge Green wants to know if you would approve her giving them this and I asked him one question. I said, Tom, will this make it a better place for the children to live so they don't have this problem on the playground? He says, absolutely. I said, you have my approval. It happened. It happened. Now, that was in the early 90s. Would you believe that that, that place where that sewage disposal plant was and where they had the dump, which was close to it, uh, where they were dumping this uh, chemical next to the... Uh, the garage, the city garage, is still not approvable to make a parking lot still contaminated, and that's been how many years now? Early 90s? Now, Flint, Michigan, if handled properly, the Superfund has to, like they did with AIG and Merrill Lynch and everything else, the Superfund has to pay for having a complete city with a new, absolute new water system. Who's dragging their feet? The feet are always being dragged when it comes to anything for the people. It's going to cost money. Now, one thing, Dave, and, and so that you know about this uh, AM241, this contamination is going, I'm going to say, close to 50 miles underground. 1320 foot down to 1500 foot down. It's pretty much a straight vein. It's a vein. It's a metal. Uh, there's been a three, maybe four strikes that have hit it. 
been boarded down there. If there's somebody that questions it, there's probably 20 to 30 pounds of that material available today, right now. You realize how much that's worth? A lot of money. You can get you can you can take a, a sample the size of a pencil lead and put it in a vehicle and get three hundred yards away with a Geiger counter and it pegs it. That's how that's how dangerous this stuff is. But it's out there. People don't know it. People don't know where it's at. They've never even been exposed to it. Now, how do you release it? How do you get the information out? It's contaminating the wheel. The squeaky wheel. Well, I watched that thing on uh, 60 Minutes last night with the governor and and uh, talking about the heroin epidemic in Ohio. And uh, all I could do is shake my head, you know. Yeah, the heroin epidemic is, is trouble, but why, why, why? You know, at my age, all my life, I see repetitive actions against children. Well, why? What, what is, what is, what is so special to destroy the lives of children? Why? Ohio's the, as far as I'm concerned, Ohio's number one in the nation. And why? Is there, is there some? People, some excitement out of destroying the lives of children. Well, in in to everybody that's listening to this, uh, Roger, the individual that's speaking here, has been working to save children and uncover things that are happening with children that are at times unspeakable. I mean, he's been involved in this for well over thirty years and been very deeply, 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 deeply involved in exposing it. And that's one of the reasons why he is in the situation where he is in, because he stepped on far too many toes too many times. And quite frankly, he's very lucky to be alive today. Absolutely. They've tried to uh, change that. Several times. Well, you know, it strikes me when they make this big deal about an epidemic of heroin. Heroin use is a choice. Okay? That is a choice that a person makes. Uh Is it tragic? Absolutely, it is tragic. When you're talking about stuff like Roger was just describing... There can be no choice because there is no awareness. Well, and and the stuff with the kids, child trafficking. <laughs> yes. Uh, and all that stuff. That's it's all of that kind of stuff that he's been involved with for decades, working to uh, expose that, and stop it, and uh, he. Uh, he could sit here for hours and hours and explain things to you, uh, to everybody that uh, he has uncovered. He's done a tremendous amount of undercover work through the years and uh, uh, has been places and dealt with people that none of us would want to deal with. Roger. He's still alive today to talk about it, uh, oddly I, enough. 
of all, I just have a question for Roger because I never got the opportunity to ask it. Um, of all the opposition and resistance that has been aimed at you in your efforts to expose what's going on, would you say which is worst? I mean, is it the federal level or the local level corruption is worse? I don't think you can actually split them up. They they both are they both are are dangerous. Uh, they are actually what you have is a situation where they accumulate individuals that will do what they want without challenge. And uh, in fact, we've talked about this before. I I've done a deal on the uh, 100 Club, which in the United States, whether you realize it or not, that. All law enforcement, they call them peace officers, all law enforcement are recruited uh, from uh, training schools, on and on and on. But to become a law enforcement officer, and there's a Supreme Court case on this, I think in New York, the guy was from, he filed a discrimination case because his IQ was 107. And he said that they they told him he was overqualified. And he (laughs) And he took it all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States, and they, the ruling is very interesting if you read it. It comes back and says that he was not not discriminated against due to the fact that all 50 states have accepted a policy of giving anyone that is interested or anyone that applies to become a officer or a police uh, work for a police law enforcement law enforcement. Yeah. Law enforcement that they have to uh, they have to take an IQ test and that IQ test they to qualify they must have an IQ of 100 or below that's now the that's, law. that's mighty scary right there and they give those people guns and uh but you can't that's trust a, a small a smart people out here to have them that's let, a let me, idea go ahead Roger. Let, me, let me go ahead and explain to you that the reason they want people with an IQ of that. They take orders without challenge, okay? So they don't have the ability, if you see several of these officers, when they shoot someone, they use a what they call a high-power or high-pro pixel that's got over probably 10, 15 rounds, and they use it all because they don't realize they only need one bullet to stop somebody. But they... they the mentality of law enforcement is actually sickening. It's dangerously, it's dangerous sickening. Now, it's borderline no mentality. Okay, now that's right. You're absolutely right. Uh, now I'll go one step further and help you out to understand what is, from my research and my belief, what is going on in the United States. We have one fifth the population in the world. And yet we have ninety some percent of the the uh, incarceration in the world. Yeah, because because our our prison system is incorporated. It's, <laughs> it's a business. It's, well, right. It's about money. You're right on top of it. You're right on top. And let me go one step further. You're absolutely right. You got part of the puzzle. That's part of it. When they privatized the prisons, they did it because they wanted to manufacture. Uh, uh, products that can be sold on the domestic market. If you go into the go into the prison labor system, 
the laws that were set down by uh, the labor, um, uh, basically, um, laws state that there has to be a shortage of manpower to manufacture products on the outside, so they must use the prison labor to assist in the effort. Uh, and so as long as there's nobody on the outside that's unemployed and they're not in competition with those on the outside that are unemployed, it is legal to go ahead and start a a prison labor system. But they have to have the approval of the local labor unions before they can do this. They're supposed to pay prevailing, not minimum, prevailing wage. All inmates are supposed to pay uh, the same taxes, the same with, withholding and everything, as if they were on the outside so that when they, they do get out, they can get Social Security and they're not going to have a blank area where they haven't been paying into Social Security which is not done. They, they pay the inmates from uh, 25 cents to a dollar twenty-five an hour. Uh, they work them less than 40 hours. They work them 30-some-odd hours so they can slip by another, another thing, which is easy enough to understand. But we have over 2 million inmates in the United States that are working for private corporations. Now, we're talking corporations. We're not talking BM, the... the, the uh, um, Bureau of Prisons. We're not talking the, the, that at all. We're talking private corporations. The private corporations that are operating get the the uh, the building that's inside the prison free. They don't have to pay. The, they, the taxpayers are paying for the building. They get the inmates and they pay them, like I say, between $25 and $1.25 an hour. And then they take those products and they will package them, counterfeit label them, and sell them on the domestic market, for instance. Yeah, yeah here in Georgia, Roger, our prisons, the one thing we have where where I am, this part of the state, we have like, uh, I think, 15 prisons within a very short, different ones within a short driving distance. And what they specialize in here is absolutely exquisite furniture that's right petersburg virginia they make uh the alternators and starters that are sold through advanced auto parts by a name of worldwide automotive worldwide automotive are in the top 500 uh factory or um on the big board of the wall street worldwide automotive is owned by dana corporation the rank and file i guarantee you don't know it but that is huge. You've got them in New in uh, in California. They're making stuff for Boeing. They're making they're, they're in uh, um, Beaumont, Texas. They are making rebuilt motors for uh, Jasper and other companies. Um, but you know, to give you an idea how slick they are in um, in Petersburg, they take property that's that's rebuilt out of that prison. And they used to ship it to Richmond where they would repackage it. Now they're shipping it to Mexico. They take it across the border, repackage it, and it comes back into the United States. And if you look at it, they put a label on it that says product of Mexico. Wow. It is not any way, shape, or form. It's made by prisoners. So and here's, here's the thing. To give you an idea about what you talked about, the heroin, Schwarzkopf was the general in, in Desert Storm when Bush was president. I remember the situation come out. Schwarzkopf asked 
Bush approval to go forth and destroy the poppy fields in Afghanistan. It was four or five days, and Bush gave him the answer, said no, because it would destroy the economy. Exactly. It kind of, it kind of parallels the Golden Triangle. What was the Golden Triangle? That was Vietnam, Thailand, and what was the other little, little Laos. country? Cambodia. Huh? Laos and Cambodia. 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 Now you're talking. That was the Golden Triangle. What did the Golden Triangle raise? Poppies. Yeah. Now, I tell you, people don't realize how dangerous this this drug is. The poppy opiates produce a product they call China White. Comes processed most of it through the the whatever. They, it's hard to get it into the United States to those that know how to to dilute it. They call it stepping on it. Yeah. Uh, white's got to be stepped on at least 50 times before they can get it diluted enough to where it can be used. And it has to be absolutely uh, very high knowledgeable or trained or individuals, pharmaceutical individuals, chemists that know how to do that. Otherwise, they kill. They kill children. And they kill a lot of them. The problem is... <laughs> It is so addictive. It is so addictive that it is easy to get a child connected with it. The child can want to their heart desire cannot get away from it once they get hooked. The problem is that there is no prosecution of those individuals that are bringing it into this country. Now, what I'm going to tell you should be very shocking, but you can you can search it out and you can find it for yourself. Why aren't those individuals that bring this stuff in to the United States being prosecuted? Anybody have any idea? Because our own country is doing it. It's yeah. Well, you're you're kind of close, but let me explain to you. The substance abuse act was created during the Nixon years. You might write this down. It was called. It was called um, title. 21, 841, 42, 3, 4, 5, so on. That's a federal statute. It's the golden statute. It would be Title 21, and also the criminal side would be Title 18. But the same 841 reside. Now, there was to be a master statute of all master statutes for drug trafficking. However, at the time, the judges were giving out a sentence to a high roller of two weeks when a poor kid was going to prison for 20 years. That wasn't working too good because the the populist people, which Trump's finding out, the, the we the people, found out were not a bit pleased with that. So Congress was leery of, of retaliation in 1984. You can do the research. 1984, it was decided that they were going to create a new law. And anybody that studies the criminal system, the federal federal statute will find it. 1984, they decided they're going to create a mandatory guideline for sentencing. And that way, it would assure the people that everybody's going to get a fair deal. Okay? Didn't have anything to do with the judges, just 
the judges were should have been put in jail. But however, this this was going to take the pressure off the judges because it's mandatory. So they took three years to create paperwork of enhancements, fourteen point enhancement. What what institute an enhancement? Um, penalties, uh, fines, and so on. Repeat offenders, on and on and on and on for various crimes of drug abuse. But before they started all that, they put the wrongful act, being the possession, distribution, control, uh, conspiracy, they put that all in what they named was a savings provision. And you can look in the in the uh, files of the the minutes, which is public law, out of the Library of Congress, you can find this. They put all that in a savings provision. It was It was alleged that they were going to then on November 30th, 30th of November, 1987, they're going to repeal the Substance Abuse Act, and then they're going to reenact the new law after they codified and argued the wrongful act would be married to it, and that would be perfected, okay? Beautiful plan, supposedly. But on November 30th, 1987, they re, they um, repealed the Substance Abuse Act, but they didn't add to it the wrongful act. Just just didn't do it. Did they forget? No. No. Was, was a mistake? No. Now, here was the trick. Westlaw printed it and sent all the books out to all the courts, all 16 districts, and to everybody. And all the attorneys bought it as if it was perfected. They bought that. But the public law reflects and exposes the fact that it never was perfected law. Today, it's not a perfected law. There's been many cases, which Dave can explain some of them, where it's been exposed that kingpins that are bringing the drug in once they get arrested, they go for the preliminary hearing. That's three days before it goes to grand jury. And they have a, a prelim, and uh, the Mercedes sits out front with two bags of money, and they give the key to their attorney. The attorney goes into the chambers for three hours, whatever, and when he comes out, he says, it's all over, keep your mouth shut, case sealed, see ya. He hops in the Mercedes, but it's missing the brown bags that are in the back seat. This is business in our court system today. And if anybody has any questions, yes, I think maybe I can get some document to prove what I'm talking about. And one of the the cases where this information was handed to was the Mark, M-A-R-C, Emory case out of Canada. Since they're operating out of the Admiral, the Maritime Reciprocating Laws, this information was given to Mark and his wife, Jody, and as a result of that litigation and so forth, a Canadian judge asked the prosecutor, a woman from uh, Seattle, if she could produce documentation that, that that law was perfected. She was unable to, and as a result of that, the Canadian judge blocked all extradition from Canada from that day forth there has not been anybody extradited from Canada for a drug case. 
I rest. Corruption is unbelievable. Well, we know there's a lot of corruption. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on about this stuff, but, uh, you know, everybody wonders why uh, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump are getting the uh, support that they're getting from so many people. It's for one reason, because they're both talking about we got to get rid of the establishment. Yeah. All people have to do is look around at the world that they live in today. What happens? It's no secret to so many people about the abuse in so many different ways that uh, people are are reaching the point where they're fed up, and this is going to get worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse going forward. And right now I would venture to say that most Americans would vote for anybody who is completely free of that establishment and not monetarily under their thumb. Yeah, well, you would think that they would, but, you know, that remains to be seen when, you know, we, we have another whole element to deal well, with not regarding this. Well, Terry, hang on, let me finish here. you got another whole element to deal with here in the fact that if anybody thinks that the elections are are not rigged yeah. entirely, they're living in a dreamland. If if you that's think true. that that's conspiracy theory, just go do a little Googling on backdoors in voting machines. Uh, and Diebold, one of the companies that's well known for bank equipment, bank vaults and all their kind of stuff, they're one of the makers of the voting equipment. They're just one of a number of makers. But uh, it's it's very well documented with all the uh, uh, software manipulation. Uh, you know, they're saying we got to get rid of the paper ballots because of the hanging chad and we need to go all electronic. Well, paper ballots can't be manipulated, but electronic sure can. And we all know yeah, and I'm that saying they can people would vote, and and I and I stand by that. But voting and having your vote mean anything is two different things. There's two completely different stories there. So, and and that was shown in in the uh uh last election, you know, in in some places like in Ohio, there were there were several places, Ohio and Florida, are two of the ones that stood out where where there was anywhere from uh uh just over 100% to uh over 110% of the number of registered voters that cast votes. And, well, and there happened. were certain certain places where uh, the uh, uh, the vote tallies out of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of votes, there wasn't one Republican vote cast. There was only Democratic votes. Well, you know, well, statistically, yeah, that's impossible. That's already happened in these primaries. Exactly. Uh, and in uh, one that sticks out in my mind was uh, Nevada where people saw their votes being switched when they voted for Trump, it gets, it switched to Cruz, or if they voted for one of the others, it switched to Cruz. And, and there was, it came out and there was a little bit of an uproar that lasted about 24 hours and then just zip. Month well, the word on that. You got to remember who controls the media. Yeah. And it, it, it Trump gets a lot of media coverage, but he doesn't control the media. No, 
And he, the funniest part is, I mean, whether you like him or not, it, it really doesn't matter. But it really is kind of a hilarious because he gets far more uh, media coverage and doesn't have to pay for it. Well, that's that's not by accident, believe me. No. <laughs> and that's it. And a, and a good example of that was uh, that type of stuff was uh, here in in Dallas when uh, Mark Cuban bought the Dallas Mavericks years and years ago. They were in the basement and had been in the basement for many years in the NBA. They were, I mean, nobody talked about them, nothing. And what was one of the very first things that Mark Cuban did after he bought the Mavericks? One of the players he brought in was Dennis Rodman. And if anybody knows anything, and I'm not a baseball fan, but even I recognize this, Dennis Rodman was an absolute blatant screwball. He was a pretty good basketball player, but he was one of these off-the-wall individuals that he had an aura of controversy around him wherever he went. Now, why did Mark Cuban bring him in and only have him here for a year? Because it got the media talking about the Dallas Mavericks again. Mm -hmm. And then look where it's gone since then. So, you know, Mark Cuban's a very smart guy. But that's the way the, the, uh, the media works. You can manipulate the media and uh, to a degree, to a degree. And that's exactly what Donald Trump's doing. Donald Trump's a very smart guy. But, oh, yeah. But the bottom line him. is, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of corruption. We all know it. It's uh, the stuff. Roger, in in what he said tonight, hasn't even scratched the surface of uh, the stuff that he and I have had conversations on that I'm aware of with him. And I have uh, I have given him my advice that he needs to relocate. I, I've told him if I've told him that once, I've told him that two hundred times in the last few years because uh yeah roger it's one thing to paint to paint a a bullseye on your forehead but it really should be a moving target yeah well he uh the last attempt on his life was uh trying to kill him in a car accident and they didn't get that done they injured him very severely but they they that was just the the more they're usually pretty good at that one yeah so anyway, there's uh, lots lots of stuff there, but that's not what we're here for. Um, we're getting down toward the end of the call here, and before we get into any other stuff here, uh, I want to go back and see if anybody has joined us that has any questions related to the debt issues that we normally talk about. We didn't have anybody that had any questions or any comments about that earlier, so... Uh, we we kind of got on some other discussions. If anybody has any good news for us or has any questions that are uh, related to the debt issues, please speak up. Let us know. That's why we're here. And thank you, Roger, for sharing what you did. I've got one if 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 no one else does. Go ahead, John. <clears throat> okay, going through um, my reports on credit polls. Um, you know, related to a mortgage company, um, J.P. Morgan Chase, and <clears throat> on they pulled consistently on one report. Um, looking at the more recent ones, you know, I think with 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 polls, 
they have to show the date of the most recent poll and then other other polls they can they like drop off and a new one comes on anyways i pull my credit report every two weeks so i get to see these as they happen but the the newer reports showed the company that was pulling was chase mtg right like chase mortgage mortgage it, right. it didn't give a reason why it was pulling it but that's what it said when the company would have been jp morgan chase na <clears throat> And it's got the dates, but I'd have to go through, and it was basically once every month. But on going back a year, because they must add some glitch in the system, because then going back a year, the polls showed up again. And these are polls going back in time into 2013 that were showing up on 2015 reports. It was listed as uh, Chase Bank uh, Chase Bank N.A., um, let me tell you what it said. I got uh, Chase Bank USA NA, which is normally a credit card company, right? I don't but, know how all their stuff's organized entity wise. But the but the dates coincided with the dates that later showed up on the report as Chase Mortgage. I don't know if that's that makes sense or not. Well, they um, changed. They changed the name of that yeah. poll that was yeah. on there? Yes. Whoa. Yes. That's no. No, no, no. That Now and here's here's where I have a serious there. issue with this. Is that all of these were during litigation. <laughs> <laughs> well that would be a serious issue. So that makes it a Q violation, I think. Yeah. Yes. Especially when they're getting into the name changing. Oh of, yeah, that's, of a poll that's, that's already happened, correct? Right. right I mean, exactly. it shows as one thing the first time you look at it, and then later that same poll is done by a different name. Exactly. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Well, there's uh, collusions uh, shenanigans there. There's a definite problem there. Yeah, I mean, it just, it's unbelievable to me. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me in the least. For example, on a 2015 report, uh, on a, a poll of a certain date shows up as Chase Mortgage. But on a 2014 report, a poll of the same date shows up as Chase Bank USANA. Yeah. Oops. Wow. So, I mean, that that to me is pretty uh, serious. There's not, manipulation of information in the files, and, and not to that's, mention that's not done it, automatically, it, is it, Terry? No, it is not. It has to be human intervention. There you go. Yeah, and not to mention that on one credit report, they're off. They're reporting with a different trade name, same account number. Same other information, different trade, different trade name, meaning a different creditor. Well, yeah, I mean, if one's a NA and one's an LLC, well, well yeah, yeah, they're yeah, different people technically. They're different. Oh, well, yeah, people. that's the whole discrepancy right there. It's not the same entity, right? But that that you know, to me, that opens up uh, you know certain other. Th it it's reckless and wanton. 
<laughs> Juan Con. It's, it's negligent. You've been around the Asian Asian <laughs> restaurants too much. Right. <laughs> you said too, one too many bowls of wonton soup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It the consumer up to false light. Yeah, and it and it and it's defamation defamation per se, libel and slander. <laughs> Aren't you glad John's on our side? Well, and he's just the guy to go yeah. after it and smack uh-huh. him for it, too. Uh-huh. That they willfully, wantonly, recklessly, and maliciously published and communicated false and defamatory statements to third parties and the public. With impunity. <laughs> exactly. Attempted to do so with impunity. So, uh, yeah, well, I'm glad we're... We're unanimous in this. Yeah, I believe Don't we find are. Find the argument here. No, no, not at all. All right. Well, we have a, a couple people that stuck their hands up in the air here. So uh, before well, we wrap the call up, comment, why don't so. why don't we uh, why don't we see what we got here, and then we're gonna wrap things up for the night. We're going to Texas. Hello, uh, Texas. Good, good evening. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing our thing. How about yourself? I'm still alive and kicking. They haven't killed me off yet. All right. All right. You're doing pretty good. All right. Here's a, I have a couple questions, Dave. You sound real muffled. Yeah. Can you maybe well, get close to your phone or closer to your phone or something? Or are you on a uh, speakerphone or something? Mm-hmm. You're just real muffled. Is it muffled now? Uh, it's not quite as bad, but it's still not real good. Okay. I'm in a, where I am is a high ceiling. Ceiling, and maybe well, you're on speakerphone, though, aren't you? No. I'm on speaker now. Oh, there you go. We can that's hear you now. Better. Oh, that's better? Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Good, good, good. Okay, well, here I have a couple of questions. I, I spoke to you about doing, um, adding a defendant, and, of course, the defendant is uh, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a on an existing lawsuit. And I'd ask you whether or not do I need to get the permission permission of the court to add them as a defendant. So that's one question. I just want to go over it again. Do I need to um, ask leave of the court to add additional defendant to existing lawsuits? Where are you in your lawsuit? I was just filed. Uh, March the 4th, 2016. Have they answered the complaint yet? The Well, the other the other parties that I sued, no, they, they, what they did, they filed a 12B6. And, oh, by the way, Dave, my uh, motion for enlargement of time was granted. I uh, received that uh, a couple of days ago. Good. In spite of them trying to throw all this other crap out. Right. About affidavit and, affidavit and all that. So I was granted... Oh, okay, so so let's stay on track here. So you, you filed your complaint, and rather yes. than answering the complaint, they filed a motion to dismiss. You applied for an enlargement of time to respond to the motion to dismiss, uh, and that was just granted. How many days ago was the motion to dismiss filed? Uh, now this this was other defendants. This was not against Chase. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Listen, okay. just stick okay. with me. Okay. How many okay. days ago you. did you did you, did you get? How many days ago did they file the motion to dismiss? 
They filed a motion to dismiss on the 23rd of March. Okay. And how long has the court granted you an enlargement of time? I have until the 6th of May. Okay. Well, and, and you've only filed one complaint you've never amended before. Correct. That's correct. Okay. Well, what happens is um, you get to amend your complaint once as a ma- what they call as a matter of course. And okay. a party, you know, you can file a lawsuit and before the other side responds, before they file a, a, um, an answer to the complaint, you can yes. file an amended complaint. And okay. if, the, if the other side files a motion to dismiss, you can file an amended complaint. So this okay. is the appropriate time to add in another party. See, because what happens is when you get a motion to dismiss, they're saying, Your Honor, look, he didn't he didn't satisfy all the elements of a claim for the following reasons. So what they've done is given you a critique of your complaint. If you can correct those defects, then you'll survive a motion to dismiss. That's why you're allowed to amend as a matter of course one time. But okay. they're not going to let you do it a bunch of times because then you'd be wasting the court's time. Now, really, okay. you know, normally it's within a period of time, and you got to look at your rules. It's within a period of time after they file the motion to dismiss that you can file the amended complaint. I believe, but don't you need to look at the rules yourself. I believe you'll have up until the time you have to respond to their motion to dismiss to file the amended complaint. Okay. Okay. And then in the process of filing the amended complaint, you add the additional parties to it. Exactly. Okay. 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 I'll do that. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, and I'm, I, I want to be real strategic here. Um, I have evidence to show that uh, the promissory note show has a default clause in it. I have evidence from the other side, them being chased, uh, the loan summary, which shows that the debt was in default at the time. Now, I had also filed a lawsuit against them before, didn't get a chance to file a response, and I filed a motion for appeal on that. But, but I want to be careful about whether or not I can use evidence that I had before in my complaint that, that I'm getting ready to file now against them. I also filed a, a QWR uh, dispute, uh, debt dispute, debt validation, teller request, so forth and so on. Uh, they receive that. They have that. And in that course, I'm requesting various documents. So I'm trying to decide whether or not I'm going to have to wait to receive those documents. So like I said, this is new evidence that I received from them because of the QWR to then turn around and be able to use that in my complaint now or can I go ahead on, because I have this evidence, can I go ahead on and include that information in there along with them to do uh, an affidavit stating that I have this information here, information being copy of the promissory note, stating what the default clause is, also uh, loan summary information which shows that the debt was in default at the time they allegedly acquired it. L- let me ask you a question. Are, what state are you in? Texas. Is that judicial or non-judicial? Non-judicial. Non-judicial. Okay. And have they completed a foreclosure or no. is this? No, they have. This is, no, they have not. No. 
This is something, and they're not the original creditor. No. Uh, who is the original creditor? Wamu. Okay, and so did they acquire the debt after it was in default or before it was in default? After it was in default. You can you can document that. Yes, I have documents. Say documentation. That's what the okay. the promissory note shows when default takes place, which basically, if the payment is due, hypothetically, on the 1st of, of uh, say, May, if it's made any time after that, it's in default. Okay, and, and they then sent the loan summary they, shows they, exactly when it was made, which it was made basically about 20 days or so after it was due. Now, just to give you a little bit more information, allegedly, J.P. Morgan Chase took over on the 25th of September 2008. My payment was due September the 16th. The payment wasn't made until October the 8th of 2008. Mm-hmm. And so are they, are they both the servicer, the default servicer, and the creditor now? Yes. Allegedly, How do you yes. Know? How do you know they're the creditor? Well, no, I don't, I, I don't think they are the creditor. Based on the information I've come across... I don't think they are the creditor. They may not even be the true servicer based on information I've come across, but allegedly right now they're purported themselves as being the servicer and the mortgagee of the note. And have you done a securitization audit yet, or have you done the, on the website, have you done the preliminary one? I did. I had one, I had one done. Um, and when it came back, the the law it didn't show anything up as far as the the, uh, the government is concerned. So it was basically like I think like a private a private trust. Okay. Well then, um, well then you can allege that from what you've said, you can allege that they are a debt collector attempting to collect a debt. And regardless of if they are a default creditor or a default servicer, it, you know you're in a position where you can allege that. So filing the note in isn't going to hurt you um they you know the court will be able to look at that if that is if that is an uh, attachment to your complaint if it's an exhibit to the complaint then the court can look at it um the court can look anything that's look at anything that's an exhibit to the complaint um in a motion to dismiss, but they can't look at anything, any additional information. In other words, if the defendants were to file in anything with a motion to dismiss, the court couldn't look at that unless they converted it to a motion for summary judgment. So now, if you're anticipating getting stuff from a QWR, um, you're more faithful in that bank than I am because typically they don't respond with anything that's worth anything. Um, mm-hmm. And your your remedy with that is to sue them for violations of RESPA for not complying right. with your proper request for a qualified written request. Um, right. So I wouldn't hold off doing anything counting on getting anything the other way. The only way to really get anything is through discovery and you're only going to get discovery if you can survive a motion to dismiss. Right, 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 right. Uh, so I, w- I was just wondering, since they already have a copy of the promissory note, and I already have a copy of the loan summary that I've gotten from them in the past regarding you know, dealing with a QWR. So I've gotten information from them in the past. 
Um, but I'm trying to be strategic and just make sure that I'm trying to decide if I want to put it in now or just hold back a little bit for them to respond to the QWR, see if they send it to me again. If they don't, I can still then turn around and put it in later. So I, I, I'm trying to decide which way to go on this information. I have the information. I'm just trying to well, decide if I want to put it in. As, as Dave would tell you that a complaint is a notice pleading, it's just to put them on notice what their what the violations you're complaining about are. Right. It's up to them in their response to prove otherwise. They can't okay. submit any evidence in as proof without the court converting it to a motion for summary judgment if the court's going to okay. look at it. So I right. don't know if you can if you're able to, you know, um allege properly to the court, I don't know that you need to attach that. You could simply quote from that paragraph. Uh, okay. And when you say they already have a copy, you mean Chase already has a copy. Copy of, uh, uh, well, yeah. When you mentioned the loan servicing records and yeah. the note. Yeah. 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 It came, this, yeah. This information came from, it came from Chase when I did a QWR back in 2013. Right. But the court, in, in, unless you file it in with your pleading, the court won't have a copy of it. Even right. if it's in another case, unless it's a certified record, uh, they can't take judicial notice of it. Right, right. Right, 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 right. So, right. so if it's something you need to get in there, you could put it in. But if you don't really need to, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. You just remember you have to overcome the plausibility standard. Okay. Which is in place now under Twombly and Iqbal. Right. Okay. You you know, if if you you need to have that with it to cover that base, then put it in. If you don't necessarily need that, uh, then you can possibly make the choice to to leave it out and then of course if they uh want to come in and introduce some other things like john was saying and and uh uh try and bring some new evidence in and then it'd have to be converted to a motion for summary judgment then when you do your opposition you can introduce that evidence uh in is your opposition to their summary judgment show there's material fact before the court and then that stops it And you'd also be entitled to do discovery before you had to respond to the motion for summary judgment. Right. Okay. But if they try to do a 12B, if they try to do it hypothetically, because I have TCPA as well, but if they try to do a 12B6, uh, I could still introduce the evidence in at that point in time as well. No, if they do a a 12B6, you can't Uh file any paperwork in. Right, you can't. All you can do is make arguments that are facts. You can't bring evidence in. Then that's what John was saying. They can't bring it in. You can't either. Without well, going to a summary if, judgment. Okay. okay, well let me ask you this: On a twelve b six, what if they bring in evidence showing, well, yeah, uh, we are the mortgagee or whatever, and they attach like because one of the things they that can't attach with the twelve b six without converting to a motion for summary judgment. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, well, that's interesting because the they mm-hmm. And and if 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 they do that, if they filed anything in with the twelve B six, 
then the court has to convert it to a motion for summary judgment. If and okay. if, and if and if the court doesn't, you have to call the court out on it and make them convert it. Okay, because that's what they did. In their 12B6, they attached um, different exhibits. They attached a copy of this 39-page uh, pooling and services agreement. Well, oh, John, John just told you what you have to do. Well, yeah, see, I, I heard it, I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm glad I made the phone call because... Yeah. I, you know, um, here's here's the deal. I, I didn't now, know you you're feed you're feeding this out in little dribbles to us, and we can't know your whole case as, as well as you can. And you, that's that's right, good. Right. You represent yourself. That's good. And congratulations for what you're doing. But if they if they just suddenly threw up on the table with all this information, that's good for you. I'd be studying through that as much as I can. If that information points to something different than the way you think the situation is or the way the situation really is, you need to take a careful look at that. And when you do your amended complaint as a matter of course, that would be the time for you to refer to and append to your complaint those supporting documents such as the note and whatever else you think is necessary. And if it was me, if it was me, we can't tell you what to do, but if it was me, I'd make I'd make it a verified complaint. In other words, it's got a little thing yeah. at the end. You sign off, and the notary stamps it. So it's right. a sworn. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna do that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was gonna do that exactly. I said, hey, you know, this time I'm gonna make sure the information I put in, I'm gonna do either a declaration or a sworn affidavit to include in there, so it's a verified complaint. Well, the the the, the sworn. You can attach a sworn declaration to the complaint, but to make it a verified complaint, after your signature box, there's going to be a thing where you know where the uh, the notary um, you know signs off on the complaint right below you. She signs off that you signed the complaint in front of her. Okay, that's okay. that's a verified. Look it up. That's Look up verified, verified okay. complaint. Okay. They've got a bunch of them on Jesse's website. Um, okay. That's powerful. Okay. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, I, I will definitely, I will definitely do that, and I will hold you guys. I'll just wait till tomorrow and finish asking some additional questions. But that gives me the information that I think that I need right now uh, to finish doing some additional writing tonight to put this thing together. So I, I want to get it filed here either tomorrow or the next day. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. Thank well, you guys. we're going to go on to Start our last night. caller then, and then we'll wrap it up for tonight because we're running a little late because of our other discussion. Thank you. All right. We're going to go to northern Missouri. Hey, buddy, what's going on? Uh, just rolling south, getting to go to Wichita tonight. Just uh, had a couple quick ones. Kerry, did you get the link that I sent to you last week, uh, four cents? That the what? you? I couldn't hear the last part of what you said. The horse sense? Uh, Let me turn off my Bluetooth here. Is that any better? Yeah. A, a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I've got a lot of wind out here tonight. Did you, did, did you get my link that I had sent to you for the score sense? It's actually a uh, – uh, they, they monitor your credit score for you, and it's a 24-7 deal. You can get a hold of them. They actually help you challenge stuff, and it's a pretty good link. Uh, I sent that to you. It's a good website, $20 a month to get in there. But I didn't know if you had got the – yeah, I got it. You're cutting out. At least that's what um, I'm hearing. I don't know yeah. if Dave's hearing that. 
Yeah, it's, you're, it's, you're, we're kind of losing you a little bit. It's, I'm out. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I'm basically out in the out in the, in the hills. So I'm just going to make it real short. I just wanted to make sure you got that link. And the other thing was, uh, I've got my QWR sent off. And I've got my dispute sent to Equifax and to TransUnion and to uh, uh, what you call it. Anyway, the big three. I've got I've got my dispute sent off to them. Is there any? I've I've already listened to your webinars three times on the original um, What Lies in Your Credit Report. Is there uh-huh. any updates that I should be listening to after that specifically that would help for handling their responses? Okay, the the original What Lies in Your Credit Report, Right. everything has changed. That's why okay. I'm doing the new series. Okay. Okay, but, but tomorrow that, night okay. is the last lecture portion of the series. So you just okay. need to catch up to where where we are. The um the the last episode after tomorrow night will be Q and A. So okay. tomorrow night and tomorrow night we'll be talking about discovery issues and what it is that they've got that you want, that sort of thing. So go to uh the credit report section of the of the website it, and then it, you can do the it, last three web webinars. It's yeah, it's uh what lies in your credit report twenty sixteen. Okay, twenty sixteen. Okay. Awesome. And that's where I needed to be. So um I appreciate all you guys do. I'll I'll let you get on with the evening. So thank you very much. Thank you. All righty. Be safe out there in the road, buddy. Especially tomorrow night because the weather up uh, where you run is supposed to be potentially very dangerous tomorrow night. So, All right, everybody, we're going to call it a night tonight. We ran a little late, but that's because we uh, got into some other conversation. We had some people come in with uh, questions later. want to thank everybody for joining us tonight, and especially to Terry, Jeff, and John for joining me as usual. That's what we do on Monday nights and Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights to help you guys. But you got to bring the questions to us. We can't use mental telepathy. At least I can't. I don't think Terry and John and Jeff can. They, if they can, they, they kept it a secret from me. Yeah, we can't read your minds. Right. We can't read your minds. You need to bring your questions to us. That's what we spend our time here for. As Terry was just saying, tomorrow night is the last installment on her series on uh, What Lies in Your Credit Report 2016. She's going to be wrapping things up uh, and giving a bunch more information and helping you focus on some specific things as far as doing discovery. So that's going to be valuable material, and you have to be a member to be on the webinar and, of course, to get to Jesse's website and be a member, all you got to do is open a browser and type in knockoutcollectors.net, and that's T-O-R-S on collectors, T-O-R-S.net. That'll take you right to his site. It's a dollar for the first week to get in there and peruse everything you want. After that, it's $49 a month, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. If you're not in there, I don't know what to tell you because you're doing yourself a disservice You need to be learning, 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 so you know what to do with your credit reports. I just pulled my credit reports, and I just got stuff in the mail today. And uh, I'm going to be looking over a couple of things that I got because I didn't have time before the call tonight. But uh, I've learned a lot from Terry, and you can too. 
if you're there. So, uh, again, then Wednesday night, of course, is Terry's regular call. If you're, for some reason, not on her email list to get the reminders and the call-in information for that, send an email right now to queensongbird at gmail.com. Simply say, please put me on the list. That's all you got to do. And you can put that in the subject line if you want. So, uh, again, thanks to everybody for joining us. And we will hear Terry's voice tomorrow night at 8 o'clock Eastern on that webinar. In the meantime, have a great evening, everybody, and be safe. Keep your eyes on the weather if you're in the middle part of the country tomorrow. It could be a lifesaver. Good night, everybody. Good night. night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.